Sports Show and Steve Mickelson joins us live from Las Vegas, Nevada, and MixPicks.com. Two K's in Mix, two K's in Picks. MixPicks.com. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. I'm going to start with an email we just got, rad at radradio.com. You can always call us at 888 989 9811. The only thing that kind of screws this show up, other than it being too short, an hour every day uh, from 10 to 11, is when you get some breaking news or news of regional interest and we have to put everything on pause and then see what we can fit in, uh, which we are motivated to do by this email from uh, Robert, who, first of all, says, I'm usually sad after the Super Bowl due to the fact I don't get to hear Steve Mickelson much anymore for months on end. I'm glad there's this amazing sports talk show. Even if it's just an hour, it's better than all of the other shows out there. That's very nice. Thank you, Robert. Uh, But to his question, Rob, I'm sure you or Steve has seen the news that Jimmy G has been suspended two games for PED. Being a Raider fan, how would it help someone sitting on the bench? I'm sure the Raiders will be letting him go. Just wanted your thoughts. We don't have a lot of the details about this. I, I, I hear what you're saying. You're referencing why would a guy who's uh, on, who's been benched, uh, Aiden O'Connell took over the job, why would he be taking performance-enhancing drugs? Keep in mind the definition of PEDs is broad in each one of these leagues. And here's what we're being told by multiple sources, usually through uh, ESPN. It says that uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is being suspended two games for uh, violating the PESP policy. That's performance-enhancing substances policy in the NFL. The policy violation is said to be related to Garoppolo using a prescribed medication without having a valid therapeutic use exemption from the league. That's very broad. I don't think we have enough information there to even start guessing what it could be. Garoppolo has already said he will not appeal the suspension. He'll miss the first two games of the season. And yes, Robert, the Raiders are expected, according to sources, to release Garoppolo before the fifth day of the new league year in mid-March. I don't even know, Steve, because it's salacious. I understand it, but I don't even know how big a story this is at this point. I don't even think it's a story. The Raiders were going to release Garoppolo regardless of this. His days in Las Vegas were over. You know, his hope right now is just to catch on somewhere as a backup quarterback. I don't think he's going to be a starter this next season, adding in the fact that even if a team wants to bring him in, he's out for the first two games. So I, I just don't see it as a whole lot of anything there. You know, and as you said, it could be such a broad thing. You know, it's not like he's taking steroids. He is taking some kind of, you know, enhancement that the league, you know, forbids. And Um, just to to give an example, Steve, real quick for people to understand, an enhancement could be as simple as he might be taking like Adderall for like ADHD or something like that, which would be considered an enhancement because it could have an effect of amping you up. And and he, in that example, and I'm making this up entirely, he didn't go to the league and say, oh, by the way, I'm taking this. And that could be the reason why. And, and that's a fairly innocuous thing if he's taking it for a legitimate reason as opposed to, and, and again, I know we don't want to start guessing. I just want to give people an example because everybody wants to make it all the time. Oh, come on. It's got to be something terrible. Like, No, it really doesn't. You know, the part that gets me is in today's day and age with these athletes and, and, you know, the restrictions that they have, why aren't they going to the trainer or whoever they go to? There should be a point person at every team. Look, this is the medication I'm 
being prescribed before I take anything? Is it okay? This is the food. This is all of these different things. It just amazes me how people take these things and then they find out, oh, I didn't know. I, I just think you know, you have to be going to the league. It's your livelihood. You need to ensure that you're not doing anything to put your job in jeopardy. All things being equal, though, Steve, I mean, he will, Garoppolo will land somewhere as a backup. I mean, he's still a decent quarterback. Teams need quarterback. The backup quarterback has become more and more important over the last few years. He's going to land somewhere. Oh, absolutely. If I'm a team that's looking for a backup quarterback, I'd love to have Jimmy G coming off my bench. I'm just not sold that you know, depending on the team, if he should be starting in the league at this time. And I don't I don't see him pulling a Joe Flacco, <laughs> but who knows? <laughs> Let's uh, go to the email I wanted to start with uh, anyways, because we, 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 towards the end of yesterday's show, we were talking about Major League Baseball is going to specifically focus this season on calling the obstruction uh, plays, particularly at second and third base, where the fielders are obstructing the, the, the runners from getting to the bag. And uh, Steve, you came in with the old school uh, solution that we used to do as far back in little league of hey uh, if the if the fielder's obstructing the bag i'm just gonna i'm gonna hit him with my cleats because it only takes one or two times and the fielder will will adjust and and i told my story from uh being a shortstop in little league i still remember the pain i felt and then we we kind of segued into old school memories of falling off your bike and you fall down go boom and you realize oh i need to jump better etc so we got this note uh red at radradio.com from kyle who says, I played baseball through college. Steve is 100% right. Either clear the hell out of the runner, or you have to get creative and you slide into the infielder. I was a base stealer, and that's how it was, in my opinion. Yeah, without question. You know, the thing that surprised me is, you know, with the shift, and obviously we're banning the shift, when it first came out, I really thought the hitters would adjust. Look, just go the other way. They're giving you, you know, if you're a left-handed hitter, they're giving you the whole left side of that infield. Just hit it the other way after a few base hits or whatever, or a few bunts you lay down. Believe me, they're going to adjust. It just amazed me, though, that the stubbornness of the players and, you know, some of the articles I've read, it's not necessarily the players. It's the analytics teams oh. for these teams that say, no, we would rather you pop up and hit a fly ball to right field and get out than lay down a bunt or go the other way and get on base, which to me, again, is absolutely crazy. But we saw the hitters never adjusted and Major League Baseball had to take steps outlaw the shift this analytics thing is giving me a headache like daily can you is that a literal example can you explain how it would be better to pop up and not get on base i i don't understand but this is where we're getting you know the hey it's okay to strike out 35 percent of the time you know being a kid i remember the rob deer coming <laughs> up and and you know he could hit a lot of home runs dave kingman yep. is another example <laughs> You know, these guys were good during the seasons that they would hit a lot of home runs, but they never really became full-time players all, you know, for seven, eight, nine, ten years because they just struck out too much. And it's better to put the ball in play. You know, mistakes can happen than strike out. Nothing can happen if you strike out. I'll give you another name for for men of a certain age. Gorman Thomas was also in that group as well, where it's like if, uh, one homer for every six strikeouts or something. The the reason I, I started this was I saw I saw this story yesterday and I thought this kind of this in a in a totally different way this jives with the whole 
question of sportsmanship because a lot of people are you focus on the injury oh you can't you can't slide into a guy if you have your cleats on that's pre- that's injury stuff but other people say it's also bad sportsmanship etc so this is an age-old discussion we're gonna have to go to the state of maine let me set this up for you why it's in the news the ocean high high school boys basketball team one of the best basketball teams in the entire state of maine they're coming off a loss last year in the championship game they're on a mission to win the championship this year on friday they won and improved to 12-0. and 0. So they are an undefeated high school boys basketball team. Everybody knows they're really good. They average, as high school players, 95 points per game. They're described as a team that run, push the pace. They dare opponents to keep up, knowing they can't. They're the best team in the league by far. They press. They use every square inch of the course. Nothing goes to waste, but it's causing a stir. Mariners coach Larry Reed came out and said that the Maine Principals Association reached out to Ocean High, Oceanside High requesting in the name of sportsmanship that his team ease up on opponents. On Wednesday, Belfast Athletic Director Susan Robbins contacted Troy Smith, her counterpart at Oceanside, after her boys' basketball team lost 126-38 to to Oceanside. And in an email, Robbins said she was concerned that the Oceanside starters were still in the game in the fourth quarter and still playing pressure defense and trapping, etc., Oceanside beat a winless, much weaker opponent by 88 points simply because it could, basically. Uh, Some say there's nothing dignified about running up the score on a defenseless opponent just because you can. You know the argument, Steve. It's been around forever. And I have always been a little wishy-washy on it, and I admit that. On one side, I'm like, well, if you don't like it, stop it. On the other side, I believe in sportsmanship. And I do believe there's a point at which you, you don't need to you don't need to just embarrass your opponent. And the, the thing that bothers me about this example is, Steve, they kept the starters in. I'm all for using this opportunity where you're up by whatever, 50, 60 points in half, putting in your all your reserves, all your bench players, and giving them a chance to play. You don't put in your reserves and tell them to lie down. Let them have time. And if they still run up the score, well, gee whiz, at that point, I don't know what to tell you. I don't like... Fourth, fourth quarter, everybody's in the game, everybody's pounding, and they're all the starters. But I don't – I mean, I'm sorry that you lost by 88, but I guess be better. Yes, I, I will tell you I'm a little wishy-washy on this <laughs> also. Uh, one thing I will tell you, I will never tell a player to miss a shot on purpose, you know, not hit the baseball, you know, try to hit the baseball hard, get a base hit. You know, if you're getting a carry in football as a running back, always try to go, you know, don't just fall down because you need to play and you need to play the game at top speed. I believe when you start easing up, that's where injuries happen. But I also believe in the sportsmanship. As you're watching the game, you can see when the players on both teams have, okay, yeah, this game's out of hand. Um, You know, I caught coach my daughter's tournament softball team and and believe me there were games that we were up and it's like okay no mercy look i'd never tell anyone to not get a base hit but now that you've gotten the base hit step off the bag you know you left the bag early okay you're out there's various things you can work on and in this situation you know let the bench have some playing time 
going full court press in the fourth quarter when you're up by 80 to me doesn't make sense. Hey, you know, let's work on a zone defense. Let's work on offense four corners. Let's look, we're going to pass the ball 10 times before somebody takes a shot. We're going to be just inside the three point line. So we're working on, you know, our shot selections and getting an open shot. There's things you can do that are like practice that allows you to prepare and get better without continuing to embarrass the other team. And that's what I am for. Do you have a different metric when we get into the pros? Because we you hear that we, we have these examples in all the leagues all the time. Um, Belichick was more than a few times accused of why is Brady still in the game when you're up by 30? Baseball every year, we have a few examples of a team that's up by 12 in the eighth inning and some guy bunts for a base hit uh, to get on and, and the other team plunks the next player. It, does it... Do, do you change your position when we get to the pro level? Uh, yes, somewhat in the fact that, uh, again, I believe the game needs to be played at full speed. I believe that injuries happen when we're not going all out in those senses, but understand that you have to be able to do it at a different part. Do, do I think I'm up by 35 in an NFL game and I should be still going to my full playbook? No, look, we're going to run it up the middle. Yes, you got to stop me, but I'm going to run the ball three times. I'm going to run it between the tackles. If you can't stop me, that's on you, but I'm not going to be going into play action pass up 35 in the fourth quarter, you know, first and 10, there's three minutes on the clock and I'm still throwing the ball. I'm not a big fan of that. It just simplify it, work on the things you know, that you feel you need to get better at. But in the pro level, I do believe it's the opponent's job to stop you. The only thing, the pro level thing, the one thing that that I, that I do really shift on is we, I get much more, like, adamant about the the starters in particular, the stars in particular, your quarterback, uh, your, your front line in the NBA, because you really are, at, at some point, you're risking injury for no reason at all. Why your starting quarterback especially if we are talking about one of the 10 best in the league, needs to be in the game when you're up by 28 in the fourth quarter, even needs to be on the field. To me, that's not about sportsmanship. That's just about common sense. Put him down. You can always put him back in if somehow your defense falters. And I agree with you that get the backup some playing time. And especially when we saw this last season, all the starting quarterbacks, so many of them went down at a certain point. Chances are the team's going to need this backup quarterback to go out in a game and perform, allow the backup, some snaps, some repetition, playing with the guys, you know, during the regular season and give them some of that experience versus just standing on the sideline and holding the clipboard. This is not, at all related, but it's kind of sort of in the same ballpark, just in the sense of I, I had a PTSD flashback to my childhood when you use the phrase, you would never tell anyone not to get a base hit. And 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 I know what you mean by that, but I flashed too, because this is how memorable it was when I was playing Little League and I'm like, I'm 13, so I'm the youngest guy in the, in the, the highest division of Little League. So we had players who were at least 15. I don't know if they went up to 16. I forget what the rules were, but we're playing against the, the team with like the biggest guy in the league. And he's built like a brick house, and he's a pitcher. So this guy, he's and he's humming him at 90. He's blowing everybody away. Meanwhile, I'm not the biggest guy. Wasn't then, wasn't now. You know, I'm like uh, the number two hitter. I hit second almost always. And so, and and in this particular game, I'm pitching as well. So I'm pitching against this guy, and it's like one nothing in the sixth, and I'm at bat. And this guy, I, he gets me three and zero. 
right? I, or I get him 3-0, and I guess. I'm at bat. And I look at the coach, and he gives me the take sign. And I'm like, okay, I get it, right? We, 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 need, we need a base runner because we're down one nothing. And this pitcher, he throws the slowest right down the middle pitch. I mean, a butterfly could have landed on this ball mid-flight. And I, I was disciplined. I took it. And I just turned around and I looked at my coach and he just said, I'm sorry, Rob, because it was the easiest I could have. I could have hit a double at least. And I, I to this day remember that moment for some reason because it was the one chance I had to get some wood on the ball with this guy. I, I give the opponent pitcher credit in that situation. He understood that you had the take side. Knew it didn't matter at this point. Look, I got to get one over the plate. I know it doesn't matter. I can just... Toss it into the catcher. Damn it. To, to me, that, that was a great spot. <laughs> he was. knew the situation and capitalized on it. Now, what did you do after that? Because now you're 3-1. Oh, I struck out. <laughs> we got Which the... makes it even better that he had oh, yeah. that knowledge to know he could just lob it, get a strike, and proceed with that at bat. And this was this this was the thing about this guy. Uh, he and I don't know if anything ever happened with him, uh, but he he was he was all power. He just right after he got that strike, he just went hard and fast, and he put him in just the right spot. I went down swinging, and I was like, okay, it's just not going to happen today. Uh, let me get to this email, uh, rad at radradio.com. Nice little note from Human who says, I wanted to thank uh, Rob and Steve for Mixed Picks, the sports show, for your hard work and commitment to providing sports enthusiasts like me with such an enjoyable and informative program. This show and the insightful commentary, engaging discussion, and passionate coverage have made it a highlight of my every day. Thank you, Human. Love hearing that. That's what we're striving for. Um, Absolutely. But this Now, this story, Steve, there's no drama here, unfortunately. I was just referring to how we kind of have to push things out of our plan uh, as breaking news develops or we get into to spirited conversations. So yesterday I wanted to talk about what were the Seahawks going to do with their quarterback, Geno Smith, because by the end of business today, they had to decide whether or not they would keep him on the roster. And if they did, they got to pay him $12.7 million. It wouldn't assure him of being on the Seahawks, but it would ensure him of getting that money. And then yesterday after our show, which we never talked about this on the show, the Seahawks did tell Geno Smith that he will be on Seattle's roster. So he's getting the $12.7 million. Will they trade him before March 18th is the next question? Because he'll get the money, but he might not be on the team because he's due a $9.6 million roster bonus on March 18th. So if they still have him then, he gets another almost $10 million. Now, sources are telling Adam Schefter that the Seahawks believed that with salaries soaring for starting quarterbacks in today's market, the right decision was to guarantee Geno Smith's $12.7 million. He's going to make $22.5. That ranks him 18th. Amongst all quarterbacks, this is the Mike McDonald era starting in Seattle. He's a defense guy, came from the Ravens. Where? So I guess a couple things. Geno Smith, he's a notch above Garoppolo at this point. We know Garoppolo is going to get a backup job. I think Geno Smith could get a starting job. I'm not sure where he might land. And then there's the question of what's Seattle going to do? Where do you want to go with that one? Well, I agree with Seattle. I thought it was a no-brainer. You have to sign him into this contract. He's making $22, $23 million. Really reasonable contract for a starting quarterback. Drew Locke, I believe, you know, he is their backup. I believe he is a free agent at the end of the year. He's not under contract, so it's not like you have a, you know, a young quarterback that you're looking to develop. McDonald takes over this team. Yes, he's going to have to put his fingerprint on it and determine which direction he wants to go. 
But the last thing you want to do is start off and have questions at the quarterback position. Gino's a veteran. He knows what's, you know, how to play the position. You know, if you feel you have a quarterback in the draft, go get him. Gino can be a backup. We've seen it for many years. If you can't get the quarterback you want in the draft in the first round, if that's the direction you want to go, then you still have Geno Smith, who's a good quarterback in the NFL. So to me, it makes all the sense in the world that Seattle keeps him. I would not trade him because, again, and, you know, you figure out, McDonald, okay, now we have Gino. Let's figure out where we want to go in the future because he's got to evaluate that entire roster, not just the quarterback position. His success is going to be based on the quarterback position, but I I think it'd be a mistake to go out and force something at quarterback when you have Geno Smith right now, who's a pretty good quarterback. I think too, especially in this particular situation, because McDonald is a defense guy. He has he has made two different allusions uh, already publicly to playing the way that Baltimore plays, and he's also talked out loud about bringing back the Legion of Boom in Seattle. In other words, I think his vision initially is. We're going to win with defense. Well, if you're going to win with defense, if you've got a steady veteran quarterback like Geno Smith who can, by all measures, match up, there's no reason to lose him, to get rid of him. And so I agree with you. I I can't imagine why you would trade him, what you would get, especially if you trade Geno Smith, now they've got nothing. They don't have a quarterback. And, and, and unless they're trading quarterback for quarterback, which makes no sense. So if you're going to draft somebody, like you said, they can sit, they can learn. If they blow everybody away in summer camp, you know, they can alternate. I, I don't see a, a, a Look, Geno Smith might not be around next year, but he, next year, not, not next, next season that starts in September. I think he should be the starter, all things being equal, this fall, if they're going down that road of we're going to build this team up into – because. Look, the Seahawks are not a talentless team. I know what you're saying, that he's got to reevaluate the entire roster. The Seahawks were in that race right up until those last few weeks of, of December. There's talent there. McDonald can can make them a playoff contender in his first year. Absolutely, and they have a lot of good young talent. This is one of the things with the Seahawks is they became an aging team, and this is where I give credit to Pete Carroll. We all knew they had to tear it down. They had to get younger. They had to do this. No one expected them to be as competitive as they were. They did a great deal with trading Russell Wilson and, and the talent that they got back from it with draft picks, etc. So they were able to start the rebuild process and still stay in contention. And the big question you got to ask, okay, you let Geno Smith go. Who are you going to get? Who's going to be better? Baker Mayfield, free agent quarterback. Is Baker really any better than Geno Smith? You're going to probably have to pay Baker Mayfield more money than you're paying Geno. And is that the answer? Is that your long-term franchise quarterback? I don't believe so. You know, okay, we could go out and trade for Kyler Murray, maybe. Well, okay, but you get all the Kyler Murray problems along with his physical talent. And is that really going to save it? Plus you're paying huge money for the contract. I just, I don't see them having something that will improve that team right now sitting out there. This is, this would not, this does not cover the money answer at all. And I'm not suggesting it's a good move, but we know he's available. What about bringing Russell Wilson back home to finish in Seattle? That would be really interesting <laughs> because Pete Carroll is gone now. Right, right. Uh, you know, and the people in Seattle loved him. 
you got to believe they already understand the salary cap issue because, well, he played for them for many years with that type of salary. Uh, uh, th that's a great, great thought. I, I don't know if I'd want to go there because I have serious questions about Russell Wilson's ability to not only still play the game, I, I think he's aged and he hasn't necessarily aged well, but now you see a whole lot of other stuff about you know, he's not the best teammate mm -hmm. um, and all these other things that Seattle kept quiet for all those years surfaced in Denver. So I don't know if you can hide those again. We just do a great job of dreaming on this show. If for storylines, if for no other reason, phone numbers, 888-989-9811. You can email us rad at radradio.com. Mix picks the mix pick sports show. A lot of ways you can enjoy uh, the Mixed Pick Sports Show, including watching us on Rad TV at members.radradio.com, which is what Logan's doing. He emailed us RAD at radradio.com. He says, Steve, looking good. I am not a fan of the Red Wings. I am a fan of the Sharks, which has been a real pain this season, but I do like your hockey sweater. That is a good looking sweater you got on there, Steve. Thank you. It's my Stevie Iserman jersey. Whoa, there's a name from the past. I want to blast uh, through a, a few uh, uh, other quick stories and, and things going on this weekend. But before we leave the NFL, a uh, lot of chatter uh, yesterday. Uh, it, it, and there's two different ways this could go, of course. One of the biggest questions of the 2024 season is Chicago. You and I have already talked about it multiple times. There's the... There's the trade Justin Fields and draft Caleb Williams crowd. You're in that one, I believe. Um, and, and, and then there's people like Bears receiver DJ Moore, who says keep Justin Fields, trade that first pick, get more help for Justin and me. We don't know. Everybody's guessing. And then the Bears president and CEO Kevin Warren comes out and just sings the praises of Justin Fields. Uh, some quotes. I'm a supporter of Justin. I got a chance to work with him when I was a commissioner of the Big Ten Conference. Incredibly talented, smart, works hard. He just needs to make sure he has the support around him. And quote that. Well, that sounds a lot like what DJ Moore is saying. And of course, some say that's an endorsement. That some say that's Warren saying, "Hey, draft team, no, we're get, trade the trade the pick. We're, we're I say keep Fields. Who knows." Others say he's just pumping up Fields' trade. I'm really, I'm really starting to wonder, Steve. I, I am hearing more and more Chicago people make the keep Justin Fields, get a ton for the first round pick argument. I'm not saying it's the right move, but I'm starting. I'm leaning now. I'm leaning towards that's what I think they're going to do. Well, there's a difference between what you think they're going to do and what they actually are going to do. Yeah. Me personally, if I'm the Bears. I think Justin Fields can play in this league. I would trade that pick and try to get as much as I possibly can because I think that roster is very weak. I think they need help pretty much everywhere. So if I can get a lot of draft capital out of this to get my team younger, much more talented, I'm all for it because I think Justin Fields can play. The other part of this, though, is Justin Fields. If you are not convinced that he is your franchise quarterback right here, right now, if you have any doubt at all, you have to move on. You, you go get Caleb Williams, you move on, because Justin Fields has had three years to convince you that he is the franchise quarterback. He's been good at times. He's been terrible at times. So if you don't know that he is the franchise quarterback, 
I, I think you have to move on. You cut your losses. You move them. You hope you get a second-round pick because I don't believe you're going to get a first-round pick. You go to Caleb Williams, and you start building around Caleb, handing the team, and show the support for Caleb Williams that this is your team. I don't keep Justin Fields as a backup because there's always going to be, oh, no, if Caleb struggles a little bit, Justin Fields goes in, and then what if Justin Fields is productive? Then you're really killing Caleb Williams there. So if you are not 100% positive, Fields is your franchise quarterback. I think you have to move him. I'll start there and go backwards. There's a great uh, spot for Jimmy Garoppolo if they draft Caleb Williams. You bring in Garoppolo as the backup season quarterback. He knows he's the backup to the number one pick. But I like your first scenario better with one caveat. If you trade the pick. The key to all of that becomes the, the the line you used of getting as much as you can because you're trading the pick for Caleb Williams, a guy who many have already anointed as the, quote, next Patrick Mahomes. You and I already said slow your roll on that, but a lot of people believe it. You've got to get an armored truck worth of picks, talent, something, if you're going to stay with Justin Fields and get rid of Caleb Williams because that's the way you have to look at that trade absolutely that's what you have to do and then you got to understand that these players that you're getting in this capital are under rookie contracts so you're able to go get free agents or whatever because you're gonna save money on it but know that your window is that four to five years because once these players get out of their rookie contracts they're gonna want big money and then you're kind of back to starting over again by the way odds makers have now uh they've moved their betting favorite on which team justin fields will land on because of what we talked about earlier in the week mike tomlin's well-known fanboydom of justin fields now makes the uh, the most likely scenario according to odds makers that justin fields winds up in Pittsburgh, which I think we, we kind of liked that scenario if, if he was going to go somewhere from the Justin Fields angle. Oh, I thought that was the best landing spot. I wouldn't mind him going to the Raiders, but I just don't think it'll be as good of a spot for him. I think going to Tomlin, they need a quarterback. They got a strong defense. To me, I think they're just copying the Ravens and say, here you go. We think Justin Fields can be just as good as, Lamar. well, maybe not as good as Lamar Jackson, but you know, we can compete in that. He can throw, he can run. He keeps the defenses honest and he can make enough good throws to make your team a really good football team. Outstanding defense to me, Justin Fields landing spot by far would be the best spot would be the Steelers, in my opinion. I want to thank Alec, who sent in an email, rad at radradio.com, uh, last night. Um, I don't know if he's got uh, everything correct. I know he's got me pegged on this. The Daytona 500 is scheduled to be on Sunday. Who knows if that's going to happen, given the weather forecast. But Alec wrote in and said, hey, Rob, here's all that needs to be mentioned on the Friday Sports Show with Steve, because NASCAR kicks off this weekend, and I know neither of you have an interest in motorsports but there are a few listeners who do follow it. I don't know how true that is in Steve's case. I'll give him a chance. But here's what Alec wrote, which I just love because it sounds like he does have the perfect preview. Quote, the 2024 NASCAR season kicks off on Sunday with the Daytona 500. Joey Logano is on the pole. His teammate and 2023 defending series champion Ryan Blaney had a crash in his Thursday night qualifier race and will start at the back of the field on Sunday. Weather threatens the race on Sunday, so be prepared for postponement. However, the race is scheduled to start on Sunday at 11.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Fox. Thank you, Alec, for that. That you, you taught me more about the Daytona 500 with that paragraph than I would have known. I don't mean to ignore it. We have to get better as we do the sports show every day. But where, where are you, Steve, on NASCAR in terms of your knowledge, fandom, et cetera? 
Uh, I used to be a lot more interested, you know, years ago. I've kind of lost some interest in it. I have gone to a NASCAR race because, again, mm -hmm. I wanted to experience it. I went here to Las Vegas. My complaint here is the track is just so wide. I mean, they can go three wide around the turns. And it wasn't a whole lot different than what I saw on TV. I was hoping it was one of those, you know, you get to see it live and in person, like hockey, baseball, et cetera that it would be a lot different. It was just kind of loud. My daughter and I went, we had to text each other because we couldn't talk to each other because it was so loud. But you know, the NASCAR Daytona 500, that is their Super Bowl, which is odd to me that mm -hmm. they start off basically the racing season with their biggest race of the year, as opposed to closing it out. I do like the format that they have now with, you know, qualifying and then moving it into the championship. I think that's more exciting, but you know, I, I hope we have a great NASCAR season, but it's not one of those that, you know, I'll keep an eye on it, but I don't really follow it, you know, big time, you know, throughout the course of the season, the whole, the whole Super Bowl to start the season. The thing is, I thing is what I think turned me off when I was younger. I know now that they've come up with the, the, the different ending in the point system to try to keep and, and it's worked. Look, Nash, the, the NASCAR events I've been to, um, I've gone a couple times to the road course at Napa, which is a seemingly a little bit different. And, and because I was kind of I was I was spiffed in, you know, celebrity status and stuff. I was down on down on the field and in the pits and stuff. And I think it's a slightly different experience when you get that type of access. The the thing that I noticed was a couple things. You're right, so loud, and and I know it was especially loud probably because I was right down there with with some of the drivers. But the fans, rabid. Like, we're talking college football rivalry-level fans who are coming out and partying in the, in the parking lot. I mean, it's an event. I mean this as a positive. It was electric as a sports fan to be there, and I found that far more. I think I had a little bit different experience than you because of the way I was experiencing it. I found it so much more exciting than, than watching it. And I can see that, you know, we had the bleacher seats. We're just sitting up there, you know, they had the booths and all that. And the, the fans were great. I, I mean, you know, they bring so many fans into this thing. It just, you know, the race started up and, and, you know, not that I'm rooting for crashes, but it was like, you know, when they start in the first lap, that's like where all the action is and everybody falls into place, you know, at the Las Vegas speedway here. And then you just kind of go and it's just, yeah. Okay. Working our way around a couple other events of, of the weekend. Tiger Woods uh, started his opening round of the Genesis Invitational yesterday. That's his first 2024 season debut or uh, first event since the Masters in April that uh, is an actual official PGA event. There was a, a moment. Uh, he, he finished at one over, uh, 72. Uh, he's tied for 56th because the course was there. I was watching a lot of this yesterday. It was there for the taking. And you saw all the rickety cricketies that you would expect from Tiger, but he was also suffering through uh, back spasms. Uh, there was the one shot on the 18th where he shanked it. He admitted he shanked it. He said his back spasmed at, at that point. With Tiger at this point, look, a guy of his age, he's only a little younger than you and me, Steve, is already going to show signs. A guy of his age whose body has gone through what his body has gone through, I, I'm of the mindset where... I love to see Tiger. He's nostalgic. I, I still would love one more Phil Mickelson-type moment where, where I want to believe that, that Tiger can, over the next couple years, get back in tournament shape and, and stay that way. And maybe we have one more of those incredible Masters-type wins at the age of 50. I'm just glad I see him when I see him. And I'm not as 
disappointed and upset as I used to be over the last five or six years when he would come out and just lay an egg. It's kind of like, hey, play when you can play, man. I'm with you entirely. I would love to see him come up with a big win somewhere, somehow, you know, to have that moment. But you have to be realistic. You know, he's not a top 200 golfer in the world. <laughs> but just the fact that he's out there playing, trying, we, we all still have our memories of him. And it's great to see him play. We've reached that realistic, you know, belief now. Look, he's not going to go out and win just because he's on the, the tournament card. But, man, it would be wonderful to see him win one more. And I'm not saying like a little tournament. It would be yeah. awesome to see him win a major somehow. And it won't happen. But, boy, would Sunday's ratings be through the charts if he was in contention going into Sunday in any major tournament. And everybody, of course, looks to the Masters because he loves Augusta and he's so competitive there. And, 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 oh, my God, if he was in the final four groupings on Sunday at Augusta, he might he might set records. Uh, we got this email, rad at radradio.com from Ramon. He says, hey, Rob and Steve, any question, uh, any info on the A's going to Vegas? The answer is kind of, sort of. There is A's news. It's really more about Oakland than Vegas. We'll get into it after this. Mix Picks, the Mix Picks Sports Show. We got this one uh, during the commercial break from Jeff. You mentioned baseball. I'll get to the A's update. Don't worry, Ramon. But Jeff wrote in and said, Rob and Steve, what do you think about the Angels? And it feels to me like he's asking kind of an in the immediate and also in the rearview mirror and in the long run thing. He's clearly an Angels fan. He says, I feel like they completely wasted Mike Trout's best years because the front office wouldn't invest in pitching. Losing Otani was devastating. And I honestly feel bad for Trout, and I wouldn't be surprised if he walked away after the season. I feel like we're years away from being a contender. I can't believe Trout hasn't demanded a trade to whatever level he has that authority. Uh, the Angels, to me, have been one of the most embarrassing franchises considering their ability, their means, their their revenue of the last decade, Steve. Uh, yeah, it's it's been kind of ugly if you've been an Angels fan. I mean, you go at their free agent signings, and I mean, I can go back to John Lackey, <laughs> who they re-signed and, and didn't work out. Josh Hamilton, you know, Anthony Rendon, they brought him in. Albert Pujols, you you know you'd have a couple of years there, but they gave him a ten year contract for basically three years, and then they had to sit and spend that money, you know, and just send it out to Pujols. There, they've never really addressed their pitching. Their top prospects have not developed the way they they've wanted to. They've had injuries, you know. And I even go to recently, Joe Adele was you know one of the top baseball prospects, you know, for several years. He's come up. He's been up uh, like the last two, two and a half years. He's just really not produced at the major league level when he was considered at one point, arguably the best prospect in baseball. And, you know, rolling into this year, you just, it, it's not a talented lineup. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you look at that starting staff and for me, that's where it all starts, but you're looking at Detmers, Canning, Sandoval, Tyler Anderson, and, you know, Chase Silseth. It's just, it's not anything spectacular. You're like, eh, yeah, where are we really going to go with that? You know, they did pick up uh, Plesak, Zach Plesak. So maybe he can do something with them in that rotation, but he's really struggled. You know, Carson Fulmer, they picked up, they picked up uh, uh, Sano. He used to be the DH 
type guy with the twins. So they have some players on the minor league, but you just look at it going, you know, there's not a whole lot of talent around it. It's a bunch of, you know, fourth, fifth outfielders, you know, utility guys, uh, just, it, it's tough to get excited about it. And, and yes, I would love to see trout play in postseason. I'd love to see him have a chance to have that, you know, but he chose to sign the big contract with the angels. He's making a lot of million. I think he signed for 450 million. So it's tough for me to feel sorry for him because he chose to sign that contract. Is Zach Plesak related at all to Dan Plesak, the uh, former lights out reliever for the Brewers? I believe it's his son. Wow. I'm all, I, I believe so. But, yes, he is related. If he's not a son, then it's his nephew. The um, You know, the, the for me, the, and I'm not saying this is how they went downhill, but for me the focal point of the Angels is everything seemed to crumble, not necessarily as a result of this, when they got rid of Mike Sosha as their manager. And they got Ron Washington. He's stepping in. You know, he, he did a great job with the Rangers, so I'm curious to see, you know, how he does with the Angels. I, I like the hire – you know, I like. I was a big Mike Sosha yeah. fan, and, and uh, you know, I didn't care for him as a player because he was with the Dodgers. <laughs> but I was a big Mike Sosha fan because he understood the game, and and you know, the critics that got on him was he didn't use the analytics enough. I think he knew the analytics, but he still managed by his eyesight and his feel and his experience. And to me, that's what you need to be doing as a manager. You can't just go solely by analytics. And, and you and I talk about it all the time. And, and it just, that's the disappointing part to me is it just seems that, you know, analytics are now our excuse for making bad decisions. We uh, So we got the email from Ramon and wanted an update on, on the A's in Vegas. And we've talked on the show about the, the, the reasons why the mayor of Las Vegas is, is saying, yeah, go back to Oakland and there's money and there's power and politics. The plan still is, and it's believed widely, that, that things will work out, that the A's will have their stadium in Las Vegas by 2028. But we've also talked about the the owner, of John Fisher. He's talked to Salt Lake City, talked to Sacramento about where do we put the A's after this season. They'll play at the Oakland Coliseum. This ought to be interesting. They have no talent. They have a bunch of fan base that is just so resentful and angry. Um, they get, you know, towards the end there of last season, 3,000 people in the Coliseum if they're lucky. Now comes word that the A's have met with the city of Oakland to discuss the possibility of extending their lease at the Coliseum for three seasons to just stay in Oakland all the way to 2028. And I mean, Steve, as a lifelong A's fan watching this dilapidated team in the fan base, the, this argument of, Oh, wow. Oakland gets the A's for three more seasons. No, they don't. Th this is like, this is like, wow. This is a really dramatic thing. It's like that terminal terminal illness um, diagnosis for somebody you love and you're just going to slowly watch them fade away. I hate this idea. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of it. What I'd like to see, but I understand it's most, it's not going to happen. But what I would love to see is Reno and Las Vegas share. So you play in Reno in the summertime, you play in Vegas in the spring and roll it into the fall. You build your Nevada base in Northern Nevada, along with, you know, letting those in Las Vegas get a taste of the A's before they build the new ballpark. You fix up both par ballparks, you know, so it meets major league standards, you know, going forward, which helps the community. But the problem with that is, is both have AAA teams and you don't want to be pushing those teams out. But I would love to see them split 
play half the games in Reno, half the games in Las Vegas over the next few years until they move into their full stadium. All right, I'm, I'm, I might be setting myself up for a big goose egg here, but I think I've I think I've read you right over the last few years. As I sit here wearing my Nike Air uh, hooded sweatshirt, I feel like you have been complaining about Nike uniforms for the last many years. A very safe statement. I have not been a fan of pretty much any of the changes to the NFL uniforms. As everyone knows, I'm a Detroit Lions fan. I, I used to think the Lions had one of the better uniforms, not the best, but you know, one of the better uniforms in the NFL. And Rob, you've seen my text. <laughs> I believe the Lions have arguably the worst uniform in the NFL since Nike went and changed it. It's awful. The all gray, the blue, it, it's just... It's terrible. They ruined the helmet. Uh, I, I just, I don't like it. Now they're venturing into baseball. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the problem with the Nike there is they're giving the uniforms to fanatics and fanatics just seems to make everything cheap. And, mm -hmm. and you look at these uniforms and they're curving the name a lot more drastic. They've gone to a smaller font size. It looks like it's half the size for the names, half the size as their names used to be. I was a fan of the olden days when the player's last name went straight across the back of the uniforms. It just, ah, it's sad where Nike has taken it. And now the fact that Nike got the contract and they subletted it, to fanatics is insane to me. And that that officially began in 2020. They formed a 10-year partnership. But this season in particular, whatever changes they've made, the players are vocally angry. And and they were expressing it. Uh, apparently they're they're getting, you know, they're showing up, they're getting their first looks at the new uniform designs, and the early impressions are not good. It, it has all started with the uh, St. Louis Cardinals pitcher Miles Mikolas, who who said, uh, I don't like them. And another player described them as looking cheap this is their new vapor premier template back to your point of how uh, fanatics tends to kind of dumb stuff down uh, uh, player another veteran expressed concern uh, anonymously about how it will look as though how will it look when players sweat through the material other players are saying they don't fit well i mean the, it, it's across there's a few players that have come out that say they like them but across the board the, the, this feels like an episode of Seinfeld to me when George Costanza changed the Yankees uniforms and, and, and these players are showing up. They're going, what is this crap you're making us? And I'm a huge fan of Nike on our on our side as a as a as a retailer. There's sweat. I'm not I'm not one of these brand loyalists like I own Adidas and Under Armour as well, but I gravitate towards the Nike stuff a lot. I agree with you with the changes in the NFL uniforms, and now it looks like their next mission is to is to make Major League Baseball players look like they're in 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 one A or double A ball. Yeah, they're awful. I've seen some of the pictures of the stuff. You know, one of my questions is, you know, many years ago you had a catcher named Salta Lamakia, and as you see, the last names wrap around this guy. It's gonna be if there was a Salta Lamakia playing in today's day and age, it would go all the way around the number. It's just, to oh. me, th this is your top level. You know, you want your players comfortable. They need to be comfortable in these uniforms. They're they're competing at it. And if it's not even comfortable for the players, there's something wrong. And Major League Baseball has to step in and fix this. But you know what the, the other thing you just reminded me of? That I have not found a fan yet. That doesn't mean they don't exist. Who likes this stupid City Connect thing where they have these team, these uniforms where they put like, and I'm not going to get all of it right, but like on the Giants uniform, you got the Golden Gate Bridge, like like the they put like three or four emblems of the city on the logo on the on the jersey, and they look 
They look, they, and they've been doing this for a couple of years, and they're expanding this this season. I, they are so dumb and gimmicky. Oh, they are awful, and I think I hit you right out of the gate when they first released <laughs> because the Boston Red Sox were the first ones to come out with it with that yellow uniform and you know baby blue. They're the red socks. They're not the blue socks. There's no red in the uniform. They stole the hat, I swear, from the UCLA Bruins baseball team. That's so if right. you look at the UCLA yep. baseball Bruins hat, it's identical to what the Red Sox have here. To me, it was somebody, hey, look, let's just copy the UCLA uniform. We'll sell it for millions of dollars as art designed to the Red Sox. And, uh, you know, we can basically do nothing, sell it off. It's an awful look. I, I don't think that I like really any of the team's mm -hmm. uniforms. I, I, it's just, it's terrible. And, and I personally, and I've been saying this about the NFL too, the, the where Nike has taken these uniforms to me is just crazy. And, and I even hit into the NBA and the Brooklyn Nets city, whatever it is, it's confetti and cartoon type lettering on their uniforms. It's just, come on, people. Uh, Monday's a holiday. It's President's Day. So you got a three-day weekend for most of us. Uh, so no mixed pick show on Monday. We're back on Tuesday. The good news there, depending on what your proclivity is towards sports, is if the forecast is right, the Daytona 500 might not even occur on Sunday or might get pushed to Monday. So you should be off. So uh, have a great holiday weekend, Steve. We're back here on Tuesday morning. Thank you. Mix.